Hello there, everybody. I'm Devin Wilkins, and welcome to Insight Peterborough. And uh, the show is a project of the Peterborough chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind. And you can reach the uh, CCB by emailing ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. That's ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. My uh, co-host and operator for this week is Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. How are you doing, Devin? I'm fine, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, I'm glad you were able to uh, lend a hand here. I do appreciate that. Yeah, I'm also glad I'm able to lend a hand also. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I had a very exciting experience on um, Saturday afternoon. I got to put my to touch the Stanley Cup with my left hand and uh, you may be wondering why I'm talking about it here on this show since uh, we're um, mostly mostly mainly I was going to say mainly and mostly at the same time concerned um, with issues of interest to people with disabilities and their allies. Well, there was a tiny little bit of an accessibility issue. And uh, so after we got into the parking lot outside my apartment building, we had uh, Phyllis uh, and uh, her friend Jim um, uh, went out with me, Phyllis doing the driving. And so Phyllis got into the back seat and she and I recorded an interview on the spot uh, talking about um, not only the Stanley Cup, but uh, the accessibility issue that cropped up. So why don't we start the show uh, with a song by Stomping Tom Connors called My Hockey Mom, and then we'll go right into the interview that Phyllis and I did. All right, sounds good. Let's get the song queued up for you. When I was young, I do recall We would go to school in the early fall But on the days when there was no school We'd learn to play by a different rule Get out of that bed, you sleepyhead, my hockey mum would say Grab your skates and don't be late, there's a hockey game today and poor old dad was feeling bad because he couldn't come He'd have to go to work and so I took my orders from my hockey mum And then we drove to the rink in town And I'd hit that ice by falling down And then I'd score for the other team And you could hear my mom Stand up and scream Get off of that ice I told you twice to skate the other way And every year she bent my ear Until I learned to play And when my stick got pretty quick And the puck to me would come Each time I scored I knew for sure where the loudest cheer was from My hockey mum
And then one day a stranger came from far away and he took my name and very soon for the NHL when I came to play mom came to yell get on that puck and stir things up show some winning pride and every time she said that line I'd bang that puck inside and here's my dad all mister glad he knew this night would come we're all lined up for the Stanley Cup and the tears are rolling from my hockey mum my hockey mum ain't she the plum my hockey mum my hockey mum forever young my hockey mum So this has been quite a momentous day, uh, this Saturday, July the 13th. Um, Phyllis Dobby, who often uh, co-hosts with me on Insight Peterborough, and her friend Jim and I traveled to Lindsay to uh, see the, well, meet Vince Dunn, who is from Lindsay uh, and is on the Stanley Cup winning St. Louis Blues and uh, also to have a uh, look at the cup. Hi, fellas. How are you? I'm good, thanks. That's good. So uh, you were telling me that uh, uh, Vince was not in his uh, hockey uniform? No, he just had regular street clothes on. Okay. They showed his jersey up uh, in behind him. They hung it up for a bit, but then they took it down, and I think that was because they wanted to take pictures, and it was covering up um, other things they wanted to be in the pictures. Yeah. And his uh, jersey was 29, we think. Okay? Yes, yes. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the cup itself. Uh, Vince was very um, amiable and yes. uh, friendly. And yes. I got to shake his hand a couple times, and you did too? Yep, I yeah. did. I didn't know what else to say to him, though. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so how big a round? Um, would you say the cup is? Well, I would say it's about a 12-inch diameter, so that would probably make it twice that size around, 24, maybe 30 inches around. And, okay. And, and it's about 18 inches high or more, maybe two feet even. It's, now, was yeah. it sitting on the table? Yes, it was. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. I got to touch the top of it. Right. Uh-huh. And what... Uh, what decorations or trimmings or markings or uh, were were on it? Uh, there's nothing but engraving. So I can't tell you. It's a lot of names. There's yeah. a, a little uh, plaque for each year, and of course there's there's stacked um, circles under it. Each time they run out of room, they put another circle under it for uh, engraving. And so it, that's why it's getting taller all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the cup itself, though, is the same every year, and um, so they just keep adding to the bottom. So it does it sit on a stand? Nope. the The bottom ring where they engrave is the bottom. That's the okay. There might be a lip of something at, at, that um, they fasten to the bottom, but not very much of anything that you can see. Yeah. Yeah. 
it wasn't the cup itself wasn't smooth what i what i could feel of it there it was like uh there's engraving on it but i can't yes. tell you what it is no uh-huh what it was i was too it, everything was happening so fast and i was taken up with you know my immediate um uh, circle of what was going on that I didn't even look at the cup except to look at it and say oh it looks crooked <laughs> well, <laughs> um, now did you get a picture of the cup I didn't get one myself um, but there was a professional uh, photographer that was taking everybody's picture and so that is to be posted apparently but um, they're going to let us know I understood that it would be posted in a newspaper uh, where the pictures will be and they will be online okay so yeah social media is was the term that I heard so oh, was it okay yeah so uh, probably my favorite but no uh, probably Instagram or uh, I don't know snapchat or, or Facebook something like right. that and not the newspaper like I thought I know that if the newspaper has pictures they put them all online and they only print one or two actually in the newspaper. Is that right? But they have all the rest that they take online Yeah. when they're running the story. And did it, did it look as if there was quite a few members of the media there? Um, <coughs> yeah, this lady that was taking pictures, there was another man that had a camera that he was on a long um, arm that he was taking you know from six or seven feet up in the air but other than that I can't remember that I saw the media like checks or anybody there no so television I didn't notice anybody yeah no. okay all right um, and there were quite a few people there how many if you had to guess how many would you say hundreds <laughs> yeah hundreds and they were still coming in the door when we left and that wasn't even two o'clock no that's right <laughs> yeah I, I figure that uh, I was up on stage with the cup at about uh, 115 yeah probably because when I looked at my watch it was 120 and it yeah. was all over yes and it was all over in it for for us in a matter of uh, what uh, two minutes uh, oh, tops at least yeah not yeah 30 seconds I would have said it just yeah. it just was whizzing by yeah because they had so many to do and they were controlling who went on the stage and when they went on and that kind of thing so yeah so it was quite a day yes yeah anything else that uh, we should uh, mention well we did notice as soon as how this is insight Peterborough we're talking on yeah. then we did notice that there wasn't any accommodation made for people with special needs and so uh, we had to ask about that and then we had to keep talking to them because they eventually did give us access that was special needs access they put us to the front of the line and um, so that was kind of neat that we got to do that but we did have to talk to them quite a while to get that to happen yes uh, the phrase that uh, I remember was uh, they didn't want to show any favoritism yes that's right that's what one person said yeah that's right and the person in charge actually not to name any names but it was the person who was running the show mm -hmm. uh, for uh, the city of Kortha Lakes yes and um, anyways maybe in the future they will put that as a suggestion 
and be able to accommodate people better yeah. with those kind of needs. I found it interesting that there was no one else there using a wheelchair or a walker or any other people with disabilities that we knew of. That's right, and that's what I said to them. You know, it doesn't look like anybody else is here with special needs. Yeah. I did notice a man with a crutch. Oh, yes. So maybe he had uh, problems with his leg. Mm -hmm. But you're right, there wasn't anybody. No. Nope. Yeah. When I initially asked if I could touch the cup, um, she said, well, that was when she said something about not wanting to show favoritism, and mm -hmm. I said, yeah, well, they can see it. I yeah. can't. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And what people don't understand, I don't think, is they think that blind people have some sight. Well, not all blind people do have sight. No. Of any kind. So, you know, that is um, quite a difference there. Yeah. But I'm, I'm real glad that I got to see it, and I will definitely uh, remember that. Yes. Yeah, yeah I will, too. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have gone if Devin hadn't said I, she'd like to go. And, yeah. then, and then I said, well, I was going and taking Devin, and I said to Jim, would he like to go? Well, he wasn't sure about that, but I think he's glad he went, too. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. Any observations, Jim, that you wanted to pass along? No. Uh... Any more than that, they've taken off uh, several rings. Oh! Like the Montreal Canadian teams oh. that won the Stanley Cup years ago, they're all gone. Oh! And then, then lettering on the cup is the teams that have won in oh. the last few years. So not individual names, just yeah, teams. Yeah, it's a, all, every player that played on the NHL Stanley Cup game is on that cup. Okay, so what has been removed then? You mean uh, they get so many Other Stanley rings? Cups gone past quite a few years ago. They removed the Montreal Canadiens, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and so on and so forth, Detroit, and they're all off the cup now because if they didn't do that, the cup would be seven feet tall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So. Did you see, uh, I know that in uh, 85, the Edmonton Oilers won it. Did you see, does it go back that far? I never noticed it because I couldn't see it. No. This print's so fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was the the day the day before. It was May thirtieth, eighty five. I remember because it was the day before the tornado that came along and and took our house. And uh, oh the chair that I was sitting in was uh, split in half. Oh. And the uh, uh, television that I had been watching was put through the wall of the house. Oh, imagine. So, 85 was, I think, the last time that a Canadian team won it. Hmm. Am I right, Jim? I'm not sure on that. Okay. Alrighty. Well, thank you both for, uh, unless there's any other comments you wanted to make. No. That's... No. All right. I'm done, too. <laughs> thank you both for doing this with me, and uh, we'll be playing this. Yes. That was fun uh, to uh, see the Stanley Cup. I didn't get uh, to touch it much. I uh, uh, 
put my hand on the rim, as I, I mentioned, and, and felt a little bit of engraving with my thumb, but um, that was about it. Jonathan, you were telling me that uh, you also saw the Stanley Cup at one time. Yeah, when I was a young child, my dad took me to the um, Hockey Hall of Fame in Toronto. Cool. And it was there. Or it might have been a replica, actually, now thinking about it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> might, have, might not have been the real thing. Ah, well, hey, we'll, we'll say it was the real thing. Uh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm sure that that's where they keep it when it's not making trips like this to uh, be with um, members of winning teams. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was great. Well, uh, some news broke uh, this past week about Stevie Wonder. And uh, the fact that he is going to require a kidney transplant. Uh, he is blind and has been blind all his life, so uh, at least the blindness wasn't caused by anything like diabetes. But who knows what caused his uh, need for a, a kidney transplant. So we have a, a song by Stevie called Traveling Man, and then... I recorded uh, an article about uh, Stevie and uh, kidney transplants in general. So we'll uh, run the song first. All right, here's Steve Wonder, Traveling Man. Something deep inside of me keeps me moving. I've always been, I'll always be A lonely traveling man Something that I can't explain Molded me from wind and rain Wild and free and hard to tame A lonely traveling man Traveling man, traveling Just in the hole, one on a heart in my hand. Traveling man, traveling man, I'll get there any way I can. I'm just an uninspired, tired of traveling man. Please don't ask me where I've been. I've been alone through thick and thin On the outside looking in A lonely traveling man Something that I haven't found Keeps me seeking green around Moving on from town to town Lonely traveling man
Wonder as a living kidney donor. Here's what that means by Kristen Jordan Seamus, Detroit Free Press updated 718.m. ET July 9th, 2019. Stevie Wonder announced during a concert Saturday in London that he'll have a kidney transplant in September. That means after his surgery, his fans will likely have to wait at least until the new year to see him perform live again, said Dr. Jason Denny, director of the Center for Living Donation at Henry Ford Health System and the director of Living Kidney Transplant. I would expect that in Stevie's case that he will not be doing concerts for at least a few months after surgery, assuming everything goes well, said Denny, who spoke to the Free Press on Monday about the general protocol for kidney transplant recipients. The immune system will be low. The lowest it will be is right after surgery, so you don't want him in large crowds because of the illnesses the crowds have. An example I give to patients is that it's like when you bring a new baby home. You could have family see the baby, but not everybody can be in the baby's face all the time. The legendary Motown performer was hospitalized in the spring and has been traveling to his performances with a medical team ever since. He told fans Saturday that he already has an organ donor lined up. Wonder 69 is among 15% of U.S. adults who are estimated to have chronic kidney disease, according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And when the Grammy Award winner receives his organ transplant, he'll join the roughly 21,000 Americans who have kidney transplants every year, according to the United Network for Organ Sharing, a nonprofit organization that contracts with the federal government to manage the U.S. organ transplant system. The Free Press asked Denny to answer some questions about kidney disease and how the transplantation process works. Question. What do the kidneys do? And how do you identify kidney disease? Answer. Most people have two kidneys, which are vital organs that filter waste from the body and create urine. They also balance electrolytes in the body and play a role in maintaining blood pressure and blood volume. Some people hardly notice when their kidneys stop working properly, Denny said. Others, he said, get quite ill. Half the patients will not feel well, he said. They will get swollen legs and have fatigue or not feel well and see the doctor, and the doctor will say, apostrophe, hey, you have a kidney problem. The other half of patients will feel nothing until the kidneys are almost gone, and they'll just get a physical dot dot dot, and realize that the creatinine in their blood, which is a measure of kidney function, has increased. A lot of people don't feel anything at all, which is troubling because they don't always believe they have kidney problems. Dot dot dot, those people will often have some chronic disease that they either have not managed well or has been really severe. You don't really feel hypertension and diabetes and so sometimes they don't do anything about it. Most people only need one functioning kidney to live a healthy life that allows people to donate a kidney to a person with kidney disease. Question. What causes kidney disease? Answer. Hypertension and slasher diabetes are the root causes for about half of all people with end-stage renal disease, Denny said. That's especially true among people in the African-American population. Other conditions, such as cystic kidneys, genetic factors, nephrotic syndrome, and autoimmune diseases 
also can cause kidney failure. Not all kidney failure is permanent, but for those who have end-stage renal disease and whose kidneys are not functioning, they will either need dialysis to artificially filter the blood or they'll need a kidney transplant. Question. What does dialysis do? Answer. When a person needs dialysis, they need their blood cleaned because their kidneys are not cleaning their blood. Then he said, typically, a person is hooked up to a dialysis machine for three to four hours, three times a week. A person would go to a medical center or dialysis center so the machine can be connected through an artery vein fistula in the arm or through a catheter in the neck to filter their blood. Sometimes, Denny said, the dialysis machine can be connected through a tube placed in the abdomen, which allows for treatment at home. That's called peritoneal dialysis. Question. What sorts of things might Stevie Wonder's medical team be doing for him as he travels prior to surgery? Answer. I don't have direct knowledge of what his medical team is, Denny said, but that said, it depends. If he is already on dialysis, he may, because he has means, have a doctor or a nurse helping him with a mobile dialysis situation, where he's either doing it himself in his abdomen or they could be hooking him up to a machine. It could also mean he's close to dialysis but not actually on it yet and he is able to have his doctors come with him to check him on a regular basis dot dot dot. Monitoring his blood chemistry, those sort of things. Question. What kind of preparation is needed prior to a kidney transplant? Answer. For a person like Wonder who is receiving an organ transplant, Denny said the main requirement is that the person be healthy enough to have the surgery. The main thing is, how strong is their heart? What is their risk for a heart attack? Denny said, how well do they get around? Are they still a relatively active person? One of the other big things is how well do they follow instructions, take their medications and how compliant can they be? Our goal is to get this person back to the life they had before the kidney doctor said you have a problem. So if a person is 95 and in a nursing home and not waking up, you probably are not going to be benefiting that person too much with a transplant. But that said, age by itself is not a cutoff at our center. Some centers cut off at around 70. My oldest transplant recipient was 80 years old and is doing quite well. The surgery was years ago. Question. How do people who need a kidney transplant find a donor? Some have speculated that because Wonder is famous, he's getting more swift treatment. Answer. You cannot pay anyone to be a donor, Denny said. That's against the law. When you're on the organ transplant list, it's by wait time and a few other criteria, but it has nothing to do with money, fame, or anything like that. Stevie cannot push himself up on the wait list, but he can find himself a donor. Anybody can find themselves a donor. You find a donor by sharing your story, by telling them it's a low-risk procedure, and that donors do very well. Optimally, the minute you find out you have a kidney problem, you should start trying to find a donor. Question. How can you tell if someone is a match to donate a kidney? Answer. Basically, we need to do some simple blood tests, Denny said. We mix their blood in a test tube to do what's called a mini-transplant. That's a cross-match and that will let us know if they are compatible. At our center, even if they are not compatible, we'll do what's called a swap. It's also known as kidney paired donation. Then he explains it like this. So let's say a person came in and he had a friend who wants to donate to him, but they were not compatible. I would find someone else at my center who is in the same situation. M dash a guy comes in and he has a friend, but they are not compatible. M dash and then we would swap. We always find a way to get the job done safely. Among the factors that go into determining a match are the blood type of the donor and the recipient, age of the recipient, and size of the donor kidney in comparison to the body size 
size of the recipient. Question. Do people die waiting for a kidney transplant? Answer. As many as 13 people die each day waiting for a kidney, according to the National Kidney Foundation. Nationally, more than 93,000 people are in need of a kidney transplant, according to Organ Procurement and Transplantation Network OPTN data reports. People used to say, apostrophe, if you have a kidney problem, get on the list. Get on the list, Denny said. However, what you should be saying is, apostrophe, find a donor. Find a donor. Quote, the average wait time for a donor kidney from a deceased donor is five years, according to the American Kidney Fund. The transplant waiting list is managed for the federal government by the United Network for Organ Sharing. Getting on the list presumes you're going to get transplanted, Denny said. You may wait years on the list. What's going to happen to you in five years, especially if you're diabetic? Diabetics die at a significantly higher rate on dialysis. It's very important to seek a live donor. That is your lifeline. That is your golden ticket. You don't wait. You find a transplant center and you do your best to find a live donor. If you need help, you call us and we will try to help you with that. Live donors are the best options for you. They work the fastest, the best, and they last the longest. Q. Do you need to have insurance to be a living kidney donor? A. No, it's completely free, Denny said. You don't need insurance. You go home from our center afterward in one to two days. Recovery for the kidney donor is four to six weeks after surgery, Denny said. For a live donor, we evaluate you because we need you to live to 70, 80, 90 with just one kidney, he said. My goal when I see a donor is not just to get them ready for the recipient, but it's to make sure that they can be a donor. The evaluation is completely independent of the recipient. A lot of times I turn people down because they are not okay to give one kidney away. Among the factors that are considered are a person's weight, pre-existing or chronic medical conditions and cancer history, Denny said. Question. Stevie Wonder is African-American, which puts him at higher risk for kidney disease, doesn't it? Answer. We know that the diseases that cause kidney disease happen disproportionately in the high amount in African-American folks, Denny said. That's why greater than 50% of the people on the waiting list are African-American. African-Americans are three times more likely to develop kidney disease than Caucasians, according to the American Kidney Fund. There are health disparities in the African-American community for a lot of reasons. Much of that relates to the social situation, economics, education, and access to care, Denny said. It's a very close-to-home topic. When I give lectures, I always ask people, apostrophe, what do you think about dialysis or kidney disease? And they say, I don't know or I don't care. And then I say, apostrophe, well, how many people have a grandma with high blood pressure? Hands go up. And then I say, apostrophe, who knows somebody with diabetes? And then I say, apostrophe, these are the people who are going to need dialysis. Then they can see how close to home it really hits. Question. How long does a transplanted kidney typically last? Answer. It could go 30 years. Denny said, but they average 13 or 15 years or more. Question. How long is recovery after surgery? Answer. Henry Ford Center for Living Donation is the only place in Michigan, Denny said, that uses Da Vinci minimally invasive robotic surgery for kidney transplantation. The laparoscopic procedure is used to implant a new kidney in about 30% of kidney transplant recipients, he said, and to remove a kidney in about 15% of donors. At Henry Ford, the donor will go home on the next day or the day after and the recipient will go home on the third day or the fourth day after surgery, Denny said. The donor will be able to go back to work in about four to six weeks. The recipient is on medication, so we generally don't have them go back to work for about 90 days. There's a lot more things that we need to do to get their medication levels right. The transplant nephrologists work diligently to get them back to where they're doing normal activity. He said donor recipients are asked to take precautions to avoid infections after surgery. Doctors will tell you to avoid large groups.
boots to wear shoes and dash them, walk around barefoot, those types of things. Then he said, noting that there are some things most people take for granted that people who have had a kidney transplant can't risk. Stuff like the dangers of eating at a buffet, he said. If you went to a restaurant and the buffet looks good, you might chow down. Transplant patients don't do that. If you get something from the buffet, you might just have a loose bowel movement, but you're okay. If they get something, it might be much, much worse. The same goes for walking without shoes on the beach. Sometimes you can get a cut on the bottom of your foot from stepping on the shell or something, and then you get cellulitis. It could be bad for a transplant recipient. We tell them to live the healthiest life you can within reason. Question. How common is rejection in kidney transplant surgery? A. Rejection used to be high, then he said. The rates now are significantly under 10% with the medications that we have. Certain groups might have slightly higher risks, but most rejections can be treated with medications. Just because there's been a rejection doesn't mean you're going to lose your kidney. All right, that was uh, an article about Stevie Wonder and his living kidney donor, who I believe is his daughter. And uh, that'll be in September, so we'll, uh, as we get updates, we'll let everybody know. But it certainly uh, covered what uh, kidney transplants are like and uh, organ donation, the need for organ donation. So I thought that would be an interesting thing for us to, uh, to, to cover there. All right, uh, my, uh, our guest today is uh, John Morris. And before we talk to John directly, uh, we're going to hear a song that he recorded a number of years ago. And as a matter of fact, uh, he composed it called The Prison Door. It's a prison cause we don't agree The only thing I'm sure that we agree on Is I don't love you, you don't love me Which one will be the first to break the chains that bind our hearts Who will throw their life away And tear their world apart It's plain that we can't get back To the way it was before So who will unlock the prison? Perfect 
as can be Then one night you saw me dancing with another And from that day on you never did trust me Which one will be the first to break the chains that bind our hearts? Who will throw their life away and tear their world apart? It's plain that we can't get back to the way it was before. So who prison door Yes, who will unlock the prison door That was, and that was the prison door with our very own uh, John Morris, or done by our very own John Morris. And uh, we do have John with us. Welcome to the program, John. Thank you very much, Devin. It's a pleasure to be here on the uh, Insight Peterborough Show. Yeah, that's uh, great that you were able to join us. And the reason that you're here is that for the second year in a row, you have been appointed uh, chair for Lions District A3, uh, for leader dogs. Yeah. So, first of all, maybe we can uh, go back and get a little bit of history in here. What is and where is leader dogs? Leader dogs for the blind is the second oldest guide dog school in the world. It's located in Rochester, Michigan, just outside of Detroit. And it was founded by three lions, uh, Detroit lions. And why it was founded was a client or uh, a prospective client was a wounded war veteran that was refused by the other oldest guide dog school. So they just decided, okay, we'll start our own school. And that's, um, that's what happened. In 1938, they were started, and in 1939, they actually were founded and had a class. All right. And uh, they've been doing classes ever since. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, do they just take uh, people from the Michigan area or from all over the world? I am very proud to say, Devin, that Leader Dogs for the Blind is truly an international school. We have students from the U.S., from Canada, Spain, Mexico, uh, 
all different countries send clients to leader dogs. All free of charge, folks. All right. And so I think uh, we can uh, derive from that that uh, you have gotten all of your dogs from leader dogs. I certainly have. Thank thank you, Devin. Um, Tell us about your dogs. My first dog I got in January 1988, and his name was Bo. He was a wonderful black lab. Then after him, in February 1998, I got Jake, and he was a great... You'd remember him, Devin. Yes. And then in June 2008, I got Tad. And now I've got Casey, and I've had him since March 11th of this year. Now, there was a little difference between the first three and uh, Casey. Uh, You went down to the school in Rochester for the first to train with the first three, did you? Yes, I did. Um, I stayed there for when I got bowl. I stayed for 26 days. And for Jake and Tad, I was there for 19 days. They had the, a shortened program. Mm-hmm. And then for Casey? Casey, I was the first in this area to get a home delivery. Now, what that means is instead of going to the school, a trainer comes up, brings your brand new leader dog right to your door. And you work with that trainer, it's usually eight to 10 days. But Casey was so sharp. (laughs) We did everything we needed to do in four days. Wow. But you didn't mind taking that home delivery. I was surprised. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right, now I mentioned earlier when I was introducing you that uh, you are the lion's chair for District A3. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about how lions here in Canada came to be connected with leader dogs? We um, we uh, had lions. This is where it started. Mm-hmm. The the district A one, which is the uh, Windsor area, they are leader dogs' biggest supporter. So they're always sending clients down there because it's only 15, 20 minute, maybe half hour to the school. Uh. So they get a lot of grads from there. But when uh, 
When Leader first started and came into Canada, they were the, as far as lions, they were the only act in town. So anybody that um, was a Lions member or knew a Lions member, um, they would uh, support members to go down to Leader Dogs. They called it, um, they kind of sponsored uh, the client. Like my first two dogs were sponsored. The first one was sponsored by the Shimong Lake Lions Club. My second dog, Jake, was sponsored by your club, Devin. Ah, okay, East Peterborough. Yes. All right, sounds good. Now, back then, um, there was no school and no guide dog training center here in Canada at right. all, was there? Right. Uh-huh. And uh, the school in Oakville has um, evolved since, uh, what, about 1984, would you say? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so the Lions, um, internationally and here in Canada, still support uh, leader dogs oh, and, yes. and also the school in Oakville. Yeah. Yeah. And the one thing, if it's okay, Devin, mm -hmm. I will mention, um, leader dog still gets an amazing amount of clients from Canada. Um, we've got about 60, 61, 62 active grads right now. And there's more waiting to go in that I know of for sure. Okay. So we're still, we're still very active. Maybe we could talk a little bit about why uh, people living in Canada still go to schools elsewhere when there are now some schools here in Canada. Can, can you explain that for us? I can try to do the best I can. Um, some of us um, feel that some of the training options are better. Um, they put out good dogs here, but it's just that some of the commands are not taught. And uh, they're they're really basic commands, Lynn. Lynn, Devin. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> I am sorry. <laughs> Lynn is your wife. <laughs> I apologize, listeners. Lynn's my wife at home. Sorry. Um, well, at least she'll know you're thinking of her. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, too, is that uh, it's sort of like... Uh, uh, um, a, a pair of shoes that you've grown accustomed to. Absolutely. You'd rather stick with what you know yep. than uh, try what you don't know yep. quite as well. Yeah. Right. I always use the, um, I don't know what you call it, Devin. I'm not sure which word I'm looking for. But when I'm asked this question, I'll say to people, 
It's just like you buying a car or a van. You find a dealership you like, you usually stay with them. Yeah. And that's that's what I have chosen to do over the last 30, 31 years. And they are just awesome people. I, I tell them this every day. And Devin, can I quickly say a very quick hello to all my friends at Leader Dogs for the Blind. I understand that they're listening. Yes, there is some listening. That's good. So I look at them like my family because all I, if I need material, all I have to do is make a phone call and a package is on its way. Wonderful. If I need help with something else, I just have to ask. Just like our great friend Devin wanted to do um, a spa, a program on her great Spotlight for Assistance Dogs program, shameless plug. <laughs> um, we arranged for her to talk to the uh, deaf-blind uh, uh, coordinator at Leader Dogs. Yes, and it was... Uh uh, he did a great Keith. job answering my questions. Yes. Yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you start uh, out with a, a Ford car or a truck, uh, you like to uh, carry on with that rather than going to Dodge or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now you're, you're chair of uh, for this district. Uh, for Lions District A3, mm-hmm. uh, which covers uh, a big area, uh, yeah, uh, from uh, from uh, Peterborough, um, close to Ottawa. Yeah. Anyway, um, what uh, what is what are your responsibilities? What have you been doing? My responsibilities are, and that's a great question, um, to go out to different Lions clubs, if I'm invited to go, I'll sometimes put the word out that I'm here. Um, If you'd like me to come, I will. And I'll talk about different Lions programs uh, from Leader Dogs, like, for example, sponsor a puppy or buy a brick. Or I'll just go and do a presentation, talk a bit about the history and my life working with guide leader dogs. And I also send out emails. I have to send out a governor's report and uh, I have to send out the, when we have our cabinet meetings, I have to send out reports and for the zone meetings, I send out a report as well. So I'm always busy, but I've, I've always, I always, always have time to talk to anyone. If you're not with a Lions Club, that's fine too. Call me and talk to me if you've got something you feel that I can 
do, like if you're another club and you want to learn about leader dogs, don't hesitate to call me because I love, love, love talking about my school. And uh, so you would be a guest speaker for whoever then, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Devin's got my contact information and everything, or if you want, I can give it. Like you, it's, you can? You are the boss. Yeah, go ahead. My uh, email, and I'll be mindful that you're probably sitting at your radios, is John, J-O-H-N, dot Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S, 1998, that's when I got Jake, at gmail.com. And our phone number is 705-876-1905. I just love to talk to you. All right. Um, maybe you can just uh, explain a little bit. Uh, you talked about um, some uh, people will sponsor a puppy. What's that all about? Okay. Sponsor a puppy program is you, your club or even an individual can do this. Um, you can sponsor a puppy they have on their website they have a list of puppies that are available that will soon be going into class so sponsor a puppy the club or an individual will sp will send in $500 uh, Canadian don't be worried now. It's in Canadian. Now, with the exchange, you lose a little bit. So the last time I've heard of it being done, the rate was 474. It was either 474 or 374. But don't let that worry you. Leader dog makes up for your for your Canadian dollars. You are not penalized because you're sending the money in Canadian funds. That's what they want you to do. You can even send it to me in Devon. You can get my address from Devon. And as the chair, I will look after it for you. I'll get the forms filled out. If you want to pick your own puppy, you can pick it. Or if you trust Lynn and I to pick you a good puppy, we will do that. All right, guys, hate to interrupt here, but we're going to we're nearing the end of our show here. I understand you have a song we're going to play. Yeah. Okay, thanks, Jonathan. And thank you, John, for appearing on the show. You are more us. than welcome. And we'll close with The Real You, another song composed and recorded by John Morris. And uh, take good care, folks. See you again next Monday.
Friends say that they've seen you out with every guy in town. When I leave for work, someone new comes around. They say that I'd be horrified by things you say and do. I thought I knew the real you. I thought I knew you from your head down to your toes, but it seems the real you is someone everyone else knows. I just don't. Understand this change that you've gone through. I thought I knew the real you. Staying home with us, you always want to roam. At night, if you come home at all, you don't return till two. I thought I knew the real you. I thought I knew. Seems the real you is someone everyone else knows. I just don't understand.